I'm Samantha Richard. I am 21 years old. I'm from Minnesota, and I work at Charleston Southern University. Growing up, my parents were never really around much. Uh, my mom was either with friends or family. My dad was either working or at the bars. Um, being the oldest in my household, I was the one held responsible. Um, I helped with my siblings' every needs, from bringing them home from school, helping with homework, doing dinner, bath time, putting them to bed. At the age of 11, uh, my parents got divorced. From that moment on, my mom instilled in me that I needed to grow up as a strong, independent woman, that I didn't need a man, um, that I didn't really need anybody. Um, because of this, uh, I grew up with um, placing my self-worth and my value in the hands of others. And in order to be a good daughter, I needed to do this, this, and this. And in order to be a good friend or a good sister, I had to do these specific things. I had this mentality that my works are what made me who I am. And if I messed up, then I was a mess up. After high school, I knew Bible college was where I needed to be. It was an opportunity for me to lay my life down, my ways, my works, my control. Um, I didn't have the support from my family that I needed. So I really had to have faith and trust that God was going to be there for me financially, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And I had to trust that that was going to be enough. Um, as I began to do this and lay down my life, and give him the control. I began to notice a huge heart change in myself. I became less prideful, realizing that I couldn't do things on my own, that I am weak, I'm very weak, but he is strong. And as I um, lean to him, instead of leaning away from him, I would become strong through him. I also um, really began to give God his job back and stopped placing my value and my worth in the hands of others. I realized um, that no matter what I did, no matter how well I did it or how well I performed, that I was never going to be enough. Um, and it didn't matter what people thought of my performance, that um, Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, and that alone was enough. And um, I am worth it, and so are you. What a powerful story. Can we give Samantha a hand for sharing her story with us? Honestly, if that's all you guys heard tonight, that, you would, that would be enough because that is a powerful story of the goodness of God and a powerful story of Samantha's transformation. We've been doing this series called Your Story, and we've been talking about how as the main character of your story, you experience a transformation. In fact, all great stories require a main character to experience a transformation. And <clears throat> Samantha's story... It's really powerful because it's really about worth and value. And I know that Samantha is definitely not alone because as she's telling that story, I'm kind of replaying some things that had happened when I was growing up. And I'm just thinking about how different ways that I've put my value in other people's hands and different times where I took my value out of God's hands and I neglected to remember what God says about me, and I cared more about what other people said about me or what other people thought about me. Samantha discovered that her true worth is in God's hands and not other people. And think about the vocabulary that we use when we talk about relationships. It's very interesting. I was just thinking about this, thinking about the way that um, the, the verbiage that we use when we, when we talk about people um, 
and how they relate to us. And we say that people pay attention to us. That word right there, pay, that um, insinuate, insinuates value, doesn't it? Or we say that people spend time with us or that they give us credit. Think about that vocabulary that we use. It's very interesting. And a lot of times we put too much credit in what other people say. We, we care too much about what other people, what the kind of attention they pay us, what time that they spend on us. And that is where we place our value if we're not careful. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we will neglect what God says about us in his word. We will neglect like what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says about us. He's the only one that really matters. But he's not visible to us. And we see other people all the time. And we care about what they think way too much simply because they're visible. Simply because we're afraid of our status being harmed. Or that we're not going to be accepted. We're not going to be loved enough. Many times the, the value that we feel is, is deeply affected by the way that we grew up, the home that we grew up in, how we were treated. Sometimes our value gets skewed because of the school that we went to or because of the friends that we had and how we were treated in school. If you were bullied in school, then that might affect the way that you look at yourself. It doesn't affect the way that God looks at you, but it might affect the way that you value yourself. And because that bully didn't value you or didn't feel like you were worth anything, sometimes we believe that stuff. And I think that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to believe lies because the enemy, Satan, is a deceiver. He is a liar. And so he will often pick out phrases and words that were spoken over us in our past, and he will try to remind us of those phrases. And so we have to remember that God's love for us is unconditional. Now, other people's love for us is probably conditional. It's based on our performance and what we've done for them lately or how we've acted, how we've behaved But God's love for us, this is really amazing if you think about it, God's love for us is unconditional. It is not based on our performance. In fact, there is nothing that you can do or nothing that you can't do to earn God's love more. We don't earn God's love. He just loves us because he is our father. And he is not a father to be compared with with earthly fathers. He is our heavenly father. And some of you, maybe you grew up without an earthly father, or maybe you had one and he just didn't treat you very well. We have to be so careful not to project that onto God because God is not that. He is our heavenly father. He's a good father. He loves us. Jesus said, "If, uh, if one of you earthly fathers, if your son asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? He said, if if he asked for a piece of fish to eat, would you give him a snake? He said, if you, being evil, would do that, do what is right and do what is good to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask him? So when we are his children, we ask him for things. And 
We're asking for his love. We're asking for his acceptance. We don't even have to ask for it, but he gives it to us anyway. But he gives it to us because it's his good pleasure, because he loves us deeply. Only God can complete you. I don't know if any of you have seen that old movie with Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire, and there's like this famous couple of lines in that movie where he walks in with his girlfriend or wife and they had broken up and, and you know, he says, you complete me. And it's like Renee Zellweger and she's like crying and it's this, you know, memorable scene, at least it's memorable to a lot of girls. But the fact is, is that the opposite sex really cannot complete us. A boyfriend or a girlfriend can't complete us. Even a spouse, even a like my wife can't complete me. She's incredible. She's amazing. And I'm grateful to be married to her. She's the love of my life. There's nobody that I love more than my wife, but she can't complete me. That's God's job. And so if we're looking for anything else to complete us, if we're looking for any other source of value, we are going to be hurt and disappointed because it can only come from God. Only God can complete us. Our value can't be in other people's hands. So stop putting it in other people's hands. Stop. Don't give that responsibility to anybody else. They cannot value you like God can. We see that our real value, we see it only when it's in the hands of Jesus. So we have to take it out of other people's hands and we have to give it to him. When you, and someday we are going to get to see Jesus face to face. It's going to be incredible. You know what we're going to see? We're going to see the holes in his hands and his feet. It's amazing that his whole body, after being crucified, his whole body was healed when he was resurrected. But he kept the scars in his hands and his feet as a reminder of how much he values us. When you ever start to feel unvaluable, when you ever start to feel like you're not worth it, you're not worth anything, you're worthless, just remember Jesus' hands and feet. He chose for those not to be totally healed. I believe that when you get to heaven, you're going to see a complete hole through his hands and through his feet. I believe that he kept that there just to remind us how valuable we are. So our value is in his hands. Amen? So what's your story? What's your story? What's going to be your story from, from here on out? You're the main character of your story. When we, they say that uh, art imitates life. And so when we see stories uh, played out in movies or when we read the great stories in books, what we see often is a main character who has a desire or, or they feel a calling to be great and to do great things, but they often deal with self-doubt. And there's one character in particular that I'm thinking of. This is a, a, a very important female character in the world of cinema. Extremely important. This is a, a very important film to all of us. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? It's Elsa. Elsa is an extremely important female character, is she not? But she has this, uh, this calling on our life to be the queen. All right? she, 
she, uh, she's needed to take care of her country and to like step up and be the queen, but she has all this self-doubt, right? And you could pick almost any movie. You could pick Star Wars and like Luke Skywalker. He feels a calling to be great, but he has this self-doubt. Like, does he have what it takes? Can he actually fight Darth Vader? And can he do this? But Elsa feels like she can't do it. Like she feels like she doesn't have what it takes and she feels like she's gonna hurt people. She doesn't understand her true value and she's always locked away in her room. And then her relationships are damaged because of this self-doubt that she has. And eventually, throughout the story, she finds out, you know, how to let it go, how to let all that go, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, But really... That character and a lot of the characters that we read in stories, they're a reflection of us. We feel a calling to do great things, to be great, but we deal with self-doubt. We do. You may not always deal with it, but sometimes you, you deal with self-doubt. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was a kid, I think I was like in third grade, there was a, I, I'm not, I was not very good in school at all. In fact... I was really, really bad, or am bad, at math. Math has always been a, a, a subject that I struggled with. But I was always good at reading and writing and spelling and English literature. And I feel like people, we're either one or the other. Like, you're either really good at math or you're really good at English. Like, people who are really good at math, they can't spell very well is all. Do you guys find that to be true? If you're, if you're really good at both of them, we don't want to know about it, okay? Just keep that to yourself. But I could spell pretty well, and uh, I got, like, my teacher nominated me, it's the one from the class that would enter into the school spelling bee. And so I'm in the third grade, and I'm up on this stage, and we're in, like, an assembly. Like, all the kids are in the gym, and they're sitting down, crisscross applesauce. You guys know how it goes. And... There's this whole spelling bee, and I'm in the spelling bee with, like, first graders through fifth graders. And the first graders, second graders, they're out really quick because they can't spell good. Uh, But I'm a third grader, and there's fifth graders that I'm going against. And and I'm like, wow. And each round goes by, and I'm spelling everything correctly. And there's, there's like, you know, some fourth graders that, that, that fall out and... There's just me and some fifth graders left, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, whoa, whoa, what, what if I get to the very end and I, and I fail, like, in front of everybody? Like, I would rather fail now, and nobody would think it's a big deal, than to be, like, just me and one other person up there, and it's just down to the two of us, and then I misspell a word. Like, that would be humiliating. At least that's what I thought. Because here's the deal, if your goals or your dreams outweigh the image that you have of yourself, you will sabotage yourself. If your goals outweigh your self-image, you will sabotage yourself. I didn't have a very good self-image. And so I intentionally misspelled a word that I knew how to spell. And because there was still like, I don't know, six or seven people left in the spelling bee. And I'm thinking, I- I'm just going out now. I don't want to deal with the pressure. I don't want to get down to the final two and then I'm going to fail in front of everybody. And so I knew how to spell this word. I can't remember what it was, but 
I misspelled it intentionally, and, and I'm like, I'm glad that's over. Like, that's done. And now that I look back, I'm thinking, what was I doing? Like, why did I have such a low self-image? Why didn't I go for it? Why didn't I try to win? What if I could have been the third grader that beat all the fifth graders? Like, that would have been pretty cool, but that was just a fear of failure rooted in a poor self-image. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe not exactly that, but maybe you can relate to different times in your life where you've had a poor self-image. Maybe you had a fear of failure because that root inside of you was a a poor self-image. Like you didn't think that you had what it takes. You didn't think that you could do it. Maybe somebody told you that you couldn't do it. Maybe somebody told you a lot of uh, negative things and somebody's spoken neg- negativity over you constantly and you've started to believe it. If so, we've got to get cleansed from all that garbage and we've got to get God's word in us. Amen? So um, one, one other way that our self-image can really be hurt is by sin. Think about it. We feel a calling to be great. We feel a calling to do great things, but we've got this secret sin in our lives. We've got this bad habit that we keep going back to. And so the devil tries to tell us, and sometimes we even try to tell ourselves, you could be great, you could do great things for for God, but you've got this sin in your life. This sin is holding you back. This sin means that you aren't worth it. This sin means that you are not valuable. Because of this sin, you do not have what it takes to be great. You don't have what it takes to follow Jesus. This story isn't in my notes, but I just feel led to to talk about it. Luke chapter 5, when Peter is fishing on this boat, and Jesus walks up to him and says, can I borrow your boat? I want to speak from your boat. This is a huge crowd of people on the shore. And so Peter lets Jesus use his boat, and he kind of uses it as a stage. And he's preaching to all these people on the shore so that they can hear him and they can see him. And he preaches the sermon, and after he's done, he said, let your nets down for a catch. He used his boat. He wants to bless him. And so he's like, well, we fished all night, and we haven't caught anything, and we're like right here by the shore, so we're probably not going to catch anything either. And so, just let your nets down for a catch. And so he, okay, he lets his nets down, and it's so much fish that the nets start to break. And they call in another boat, and the boat starts to sink. It's so much fish. And they, this other boat comes over to help them, and it's so much fish that their nets start to break, and their boat starts to sink. And when Peter sees this, he, he senses God is calling him. Jesus is calling him to leave it all behind and follow him. He, he knows that's why Jesus is there. And I want to tell you tonight, some of you have been sensing that God has a calling on your life. Not just to graduate from college. Not just to get a job. Not just to have a family and someday retire comfortably. There's more. You feel a calling for more. And Peter felt that. He knew that Jesus was going to say, follow me. And before he can even say it, Peter just falls down on his knees. He doesn't care about the fish anymore. 
And he says, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. That's what he thinks of himself. He's basically intentionally misspelling the word and the spelling bee at that moment. He's failing on purpose. And he's saying, Lord, I, I can't. I, can't, I don't even want to start following you because if I do, I'm just going to mess up. And so here's what Jesus says. He says, Simon, because he hadn't named him Peter yet. Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be a fisher of men. Don't be afraid. When did Peter ever mention anything about fear? All he said was, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He didn't say that he was scared, but he was scared. He had a fear of failure rooted in his poor image of himself. He didn't value himself. And it was because, he, he, he said why, it's because of the sin in his life. I'm a sinful man. I can't follow you. I can't be great. I can't do great things. I can't even be around you. Get away from me. But, but Jesus says, don't be afraid. And I just want to tell you that tonight. Don't be afraid. Because you are not called to clean your life up on your own strength. Okay? When you follow Jesus, from that point on, you're with Jesus. No longer are you alone. You are with Jesus. There's a storm coming up in the boat. Jesus is in my boat. There's, there's problems. There's people being thrown in jail. John the Baptist was thrown in jail, and they cut his head off. It's okay. Jesus is with me. I'm not alone anymore. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that you don't have what it takes. Don't be afraid that you're not valuable enough. Don't be afraid that you're going to get down uh, onto the, the biggest stage and fail in front of everybody. Don't have a fear of failure. It's not from God. A lot of people uh, will tell you that you, just, you should just believe in yourself. Well, I don't agree with that. Like, it's fine to value yourself and consider yourself worth it, but simply believing in yourself alone is not going to cut it. Believing in God, believing in his word, believing that he is who he said you are, that is how you can overcome all the self-doubt. A lot of times we, uh, we feel like we should clean ourselves up before we're ready to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, look, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And a lot of times we, we, we think that we should get ourselves healthy. Like, I'm not going to go to the doctor just yet. I'm going to get myself healthy first. Then when I'm all better, then I'll go to the doctor and say, look, doctor, I'm all better. I did it myself. That is not God's way. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. So the reason that we go to God is so that he can clean us up. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to start following Jesus and always be talking about Jesus, and I don't want to pursue his calling on my life because I know, like Peter, I'm a sinful person. But look, 
Don't try to get cleaned up on your own. You're not going to do it. You can't do it in your own strength, but you can do it by the power and by the grace of God. You've got what it takes, not because of you, not because you believe in yourself, but because you believe in him. And when he's inside of you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. When he's inside of you, you're more than a conqueror in him. Amen? All right. Can you guys open up your, your phones real quick? I want you to go to YouVersion Bible app. I want you to go to uh, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I want to read through this as quick as I can, but I need you guys to read it along with me because it's kind of a lot of scripture, but I know you can handle it. Judges chapter 6. Put it in the ESV because that's what I'm going to read out of. Judges chapter 6, ESV. So there's this fantastic story, and it's the story of Gideon. And I'm just going to read through it. Just keep along, keep following along with me. It's not going to be on the screen. Just look at your phone if you have it. Judges 6, ESV, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Medean for seven years. And the hand of Medean overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. Okay, look up for me for a second. This is Old Testament. So there's a there's a steep consequence for their sin. The, the Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They sinned. And so he puts them in the enemy's hands for seven years, the Midianites. And they are just ravaged by the Midianites. They're always coming, stealing their animals. They're stealing their crops. And so they just retreat to the caves. They get up in the mountains and, and live in the rocks. I feel like this is a picture of where the enemy wants us to be. When we sin, the enemy wants us to crawl back into our cave. He wants us to feel um, in, that we're in danger. He wants us to feel like we can't step out and be who God has called us to be. He wants us to shrink back and withdraw. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. I'm going to skip around just a little bit. Um, verse 7. Look at verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So in other words, God is saying, I have called you to something greater, but you have not obeyed me. You've not followed me. You've not obeyed my voice. I, have, I brought you out of all of that junk, not so that you could go right back into slavery and bondage. I brought you out of that to rescue you so that you could be free. I brought you out of that so you could do what I've called you to do. And these guys just kind of went right back into it. And they let these other gods influence them. And they just shrunk back. So, verse 11. 
This is where the story starts to change. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah. I'm just going to call it Oprah because that sounds much funner to say. Which belonged to Joash the Bezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And here's where it's cool. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God said to him, or sorry, and Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that the fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Here's the takeaway from this story. God shows up and he says, Mighty man of valor. He says, the Lord is with you. Gideon's like looking around like, who is he talking to? He can't be talking to me. But see, God calls things that are not as though they were. God speaks over us that we're his champions even before we ever win anything. And you know why? It's because he's with us. When God is with you, you have that championship pedigree in you. When God is with you, you have what it takes to overcome sin, to overcome somebody's negative words spoken over you, uh, overcome a feeling of low self-worth, of no value. You have the power to overcome all of that when the Lord is with you. And he says, you're a mighty woman of valor. You're a mighty man of valor. And you're like, I've never done anything. Why would you say that about me? Because I'm in you. I'm with you. You've got this. You can do all things through me because I'm going to strengthen you. And Gideon is like, look, if the Lord is with us, and he starts blasting out all these excuses. Why has this happened? Why has this bad thing happened to us? Why did, why did this go wrong? And God doesn't even pay attention to all of those excuses. He's like, look, I'm with you. Have I not sent you already? Go in this might of yours. And Gideon's like, what might? I might not be able to do it. I don't have any might. And God says, look, uh, or Gideon says, Lord, how can I save Israel? my, My clan, my family, they're like the weakest of all the families. And in my family, I'm the weakest in my family. So he's like, I'm the weakest of the weak. And the Lord doesn't even address it. He's like, go. You're a mighty man of valor. Go in this might of yours. Go. I'm with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you defeat the Midianites. You can do it. Let's skip down to verse 23. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Oprah. (laughs) The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. 
Don't fear. That's exactly what Jesus told Peter, isn't it? Don't be afraid. You have what it takes. You're valuable. You're important. You have a calling on your life. You are called to be great. You are called to do great things. There is more in you than you think. You can do this. Don't be afraid. There's a lot more to the story of Gideon, which I don't have uh, time to go into tonight, but I encourage you to read it because we are Gideon. We are all Gideon. God has a plan for us, and it's a powerful plan. No matter what we think of us, God thinks highly of us. He thinks you're a mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor. Let me give you three next steps that you can take. I'm gonna close with these three things, just a few practical things. Number one, think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Our thinking, our way of thoughts is very, very important. We gotta have a renewed mind. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Go back and listen to the podcast, it's important. But we have to have a renewed mind. If we're thinking negative thoughts, then we're gonna accomplish negative actions. If we think that we're worth nothing, we're gonna accomplish nothing. So think about what you think about. Make sure that you are believing what God says about you. And who's got your value? in their hands. Is it the hands of Jesus that you can still see the holes where the nails were? Or is your value in a parent's hands, a significant other's hands, a teacher's hands, a coach's hands, somebody, some coach that spoke negative things over you, some bully at school, the, the popular people, the cool people. Is your value in their hands or is it in God's hands? Number two, Speak God's word. Speak God's word. There's a lot of things that you can do with God's word. You can read it. You can believe it. You can meditate on it. You can, uh, you can do all kinds. You can pray God's word. But here's what I want you to do. Speak God's word. Focus right now on speaking God's words. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Speak that over yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God, all things are possible. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. I am free. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. Who the Son says free is free indeed. Speak God's word. And last thing, number three. Samantha said it so perfectly, so I'm not even going to change it. Give God his job back. Give God his job back. God has some grace for you. Do you know what the grace of God is? A lot of people don't understand what grace is. They think it's the same thing as mercy. It's not. God's grace is his power. It's his ability to do what your ability can't do. It's his help. That's what God's grace is. He has some help for you. He has some power for you. But you know what? Grace comes through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And so you've got to believe that God's grace is on you. You've got to believe that you have what it takes. You've got to believe that you're receiving God's grace and his righteousness by faith. God is God and you are not. You are not him, so give him his job back. Have faith in him that he can do his job. Don't be, I can't do it. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't do great things, I'm a sinner. Give God his job back. He turns you from a sinner into a saint. The last thing it says about Gideon and 
One of the last things that God says about him in that chapter 6, he says, the Spirit of the Lord will clothe you. The Spirit of the Lord will clothe you. And I'm just going to speak that over you tonight. I don't know what negative words have been spoken over you, but I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord will clothe you. The Spirit of the Lord is clothing you. And he's telling you, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Nothing can separate you from my love. You have what it takes if you have me. You can do all things. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message tonight. I don't know who this message is for, but uh, God, I pray that it makes an impact on the person that's been struggling with their worth, the person that's been struggling with not feeling valuable. Lord, I pray that you would remind them tonight that you proved how much you value us by the holes that are in your hands and feet. We take that value, we take that worth, and we take it out of other people's hands, and we give it back to you. We give you your job back, Lord. We know that you love us. We know that you accept us. We are so grateful that you are God and we are not. Lord, we repent of trying to clean ourselves up. That's your job, Lord. Clean us up. Make us brand new. We turn away from all that old junk. We turn towards you, God. Have your way in us.